Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the History of the American People to 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, The French and Indian War. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the first slide, Imperial Wars. France and England had fought several imperial wars throughout the 1700s that disproportionately hurt New England, where most of the fighting raged. Over time, competition between the two powers shifted from the Canadian border to further west. The first war was King William's War, from 1688 to 1697. Then, Queen Anne's War, 1702 to 1713, and King George's War, 1744 to 48. Finally, there was the Seven Years' War, also called the French and Indian War, which raged from 1754 to 1763. In all of these conflicts, endemic European warfare draws in the colonies. As a result, there is a heavy burden on the colonists, and most conflicts center around New England and New France, as I said. Due to this, Boston will suffer, while New York City and Philadelphia thrive. And this will help us understand why Boston and New England is so radical in the lead-up to the Revolution. Please advance to the next slide, entitled, Prelude. So, how did the most important colonial war in North America begin? France and England had competing understandings and strategies for what it meant to dominate a region. We can describe this as settlement versus influence. The British believed in concentrated settlements with exploited land and resources. Remember, the British colonists were mostly confined to the Atlantic seaboard, and in 1754, there were about 1.5 million British citizens in North America. Alternatively, the French saw influence and trade domination in a region as a sign of control, and the French used North America's extensive waterways to send traders from Quebec and Montreal throughout the Ohio country to gain favor with natives. By placing forts in key strategic areas, they could secure these trade routes and their native allies. However, this meant that the French presence in the interior was sparse. In 1754, there were only 70,000 Frenchmen in North America. These two competing empires would play out in the coveted Ohio Country. This Ohio Country constituted the area between the Appalachian Mountains and the Ohio and Mississippi Rivers and was largely disputed. Because the area was so sparsely defended, the French gave Native Americans gifts in return for their protection. And it is important to note that the Indians were not passive victims just waiting to be killed or removed. They benefited from these alliances. Indians traded with both sides and frequently played them off one another. It was the imperial rivalry that allowed the Indians in the Ohio country to be coveted allies central to any empire strategy, though the removal of any power would upset this. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Washington's First Mission. As a quick trivia point, what do George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Abraham Lincoln have in common? Step families. Franklin and his stepbrother James may have not really got along, but Washington loved his stepbrother Richard, and he went with him to Barbados to help cure his cough, and there Richard died. In the process, Washington got smallpox and became sterile, and this is why he never had an heir and Americans didn't have to worry about his son becoming king. I only point this out because I myself am a stepfather, and I like this trivia point. So, what is going to be the spark that lights the powder keg between France and England? 
1753, the Virginia governor sent 21-year-old George Washington with a small group of militiamen to deliver an ultimatum to the French at Fort Le Beau on Lake Erie. This ultimatum stated that the area had been claimed by the British and that the French had no claim to the area. The French politely replied that they had laid claim to the land 100 years earlier. On the way home, Washington nearly drowned while taking his canoe downriver. Can you imagine what would have happened had that actually occurred? When Washington returned home and delivered the bad news, he published an account of his adventures called the Journal of Major George Washington that described the wilderness and the expedition. The journal got published in colonial newspapers and British magazines and garnered him much attention. In 1754, now promoted Lieutenant Colonel Washington led another expedition into the Ohio country this time with 160 militiamen. Their mission was to secure the area near modern-day Pittsburgh. After crossing the Allegheny Mountains, Washington learned from some Iroquois that the French had seized the area with more than 1,000 troops and renamed it Fort Duquesne. So Washington set up a makeshift fort about 40 miles from Fort Duquesne and gathered some Indian allies and waited for reinforcements. Meanwhile, the French dispatched a detachment similar to Washington's 1753 group. The British, with the help of their Indian allies, ambushed this attachment and killed 10, including a French ambassador. And this is a massive diplomatic no-no. Now, did Washington know that his force had killed a French ambassador? The later surrender document he had to sign basically acknowledged as much, even though he couldn't read French, so he didn't understand what he was signing. Well, officially, the British and more specifically, Washington's unit, were officially responsible for starting what would become a world war. After the ambush, Washington's force retreated to the crude fort, Fort Necessity. Reinforcements eventually arrived, but the Indian allies bolted, probably because they knew that a bigger French force was on its way. One month later, 1,100 angry Frenchmen and Indians attacked Fort Necessity, and in the process, 100 of Washington's 300 men were killed or wounded, and he surrendered and led his men home. The British tried to put a positive spin on the incident, but Washington's regiment was eventually disbanded, meaning that Washington faced demotion. Rather than be demoted, he resigned. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Braddock's March. The British responded to the outbreak of the war, by sending two regiments of regular Redcoats to North America. Their plan was to capture Fort Duquesne and eventually French Canada. The expedition was led by the cocky general Edward Braddock. Braddock once said to Benjamin Franklin, quote, These savages may, indeed, be a formidable enemy to your raw American militia, but upon the king's regular and disciplined troops, sir, it is impossible to believe they should make any impression. End quote. Washington, hoping to enhance his reputation, joined the force as an aide-de-camp to Braddock, and in 1755, 1,300 British redcoats and colonial militia trudged over the mountains and through the woods towards Fort Duquesne. The soldiers and the baggage train stretched more than six miles long, and about five miles from the fort, the British were ambushed by French and Indians at the Battle of Monongahela. 457 of the 1,300 British were killed, and many of them were scalped, with another 450 wounded. 
Braddock was shot in the combat and died three days later. Washington, in the process, rallied the troops and helped lead the retreat. He had two horses shot from underneath him, and four bullets pierced his coat, but he escaped unhurt. Washington's reputation was greatly enhanced, and he was given command of the newly created Virginia Regiment. He turned the regiment into an elite force that combined redcoat discipline and Indian tactics. But unfortunately for Washington, the focus of the war, now officially declared, shifted north to the Great Lakes in Canada. And by the way, click on the hyperlink on the PowerPoint to see a video clip of the movie The Last of the Mohicans. Please advance to the next slide entitled British Grand Strategy. After this catastrophe, the early phase of the war saw the British suffer continuous defeats at the hands of the French and their Indian allies. In 1757, the British got a new head of government, William Pitt, who made four critical changes to British strategy. First, he focused the British war effort on winning North America. Next, he used the powerful British Navy to cut off French supplies to the continent. Then, he offered the American colonists money and benefits by participating in the war. Thus, the colonists were treated more like allies than subordinates. Then, he eventually raised a force of 45,000 British soldiers, about half British and half colonists. And this is compared to the French, who only had 6,800 regulars and 2,000 colonists and Indian allies. As the French lost battles and forts, the British promised the Indians trade and protection of their lands, and the French and Indian alliances broke down. As a consequence of these moves, the British ran up a big debt, which would have disastrous consequences later on. Please advance to the next slide entitled, British Victories. By 1758-59, to the British were winning everywhere. In 1759, they captured Quebec, the capital of New France, and then one year later, they took Montreal. That same year, George III ascended to the British throne, which would have consequences for years to come. In 1762, the Spanish, worried about British threats to Florida and their silver mines in Mexico, entered the war on the side of the French. But later in that summer, the British laid siege and captured the critical Spanish post at Havana, Cuba. And then in October, the British captured Manila, the capital of the Philippines. By November of 1762, the French secretly ceded Louisiana west of the Mississippi River to the Spanish, since the French were trying to keep the territory out of British hands. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The Treaty of Paris. In February of 1763, Britain, France, and Spain signed the Treaty of Paris. As a result, the North American map was completely redrawn. The victorious British got French Canada, all the French territory east of the Mississippi River, and a handful of Caribbean allies. They also got effective control of India and Senegal and West Africa. France made these concessions because it enabled them to retain some of their Caribbean islands, which were worth more than all of Canada. Also in the treaty, Spain was given back Havana if they ceded Florida to the British. Now, as a result of the treaty, the British Empire was now bigger than Imperial Rome. One last point to make, no Indians were consulted in the signing of these treaties, which will greatly affect them as a result. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Consequences. After the French and Indian War, 
the British had a massive problem, their colossal debt. At the start of the war, British debt was 74.6 million pounds. By January 1763, it was 122.6 million pounds, with an annual interest of 4.4 million pounds. Now, how are the British going to pay this off? Well, taxes in Britain had gone up during the war years, and they had not gone up in the colonies. According to the historian Colin Calloway, quote, In 1763, imperial taxation in Britain averaged 26 shillings per person. In the colonies, it averaged just one. It seemed reasonable to expect that the colonists to bear some of the expenses of victory. After all, British ministers pointed out, the war had been fought for them. End quote. This meant the end of salutary neglect, and the colonists would not like it. Again, to put a finer point on this, most of the land that changed hands in the Treaty of Paris was native land. And most Indians are unhappy about British victory. The British were more likely than the French to try and seize and settle their land. And the British also stopped giving gifts to the Indians during diplomatic talks. And remember, gift-giving is a huge part of native diplomacy. Because the British were struggling financially during the war, they decided to cut back on these gifts. When combined with their efforts to settle the region, a war between the British and the natives resulted. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Pontiac's War. This change in British policy towards Indians spurred what one historian called the First War of Independence in the Americas. It was more commonly known as Pontiac's War. The Ottawa war chief Pontiac in 1763 stated, quote, it is important for us, my brothers, that we exterminate from our lands this nation which seeks not only to destroy us, but to take our land. You see as well as I that we can no longer supply our needs as we have done from our brothers the French. The English sell us goods twice as dear as the French do, and their goods do not last. Scarcely have we bought a blanket or something else to cover ourselves with before we must think of getting another, and when we wish to set out for our winter camps, they do not want to give us any credit as our brothers, the French did. End quote. Pontiac met with delegates from several other tribes and urged them to make war against the British. War eventually engulfed a huge region between the Appalachians and the Mississippi River. Natives captured a number of British forts in the region and killed 500 soldiers and hundreds of settlers. In retaliation, the British may have used germ warfare against the tribes. In June of 1763, the British in Fort Pitt were suffering from smallpox, and two Indians approached the fort and tried to persuade them to give it up. One British man wrote in his journal, quote, Out of regard to them, we gave them two blankets and a handkerchief out of the smallpox hospital. I hope it'll have the desired effect. End quote. Smallpox did end up ravaging the Indians that spring and summer, though it is difficult to say if this was due to germ warfare. The Indians were ultimately worn down by several factors, including disease, shortage of supplies, and the separate agendas of individual tribes. As a result, peace was negotiated in 1765, and we have to ask ourselves, did the Indians really lose this war? Please advance to the next slide, entitled The Royal Proclamation of 1763, to find out. In October of 1763, King George III issued a royal proclamation that said that the Appalachian Mountains were the official boundary of British settlement in North America. 
British traders, but not settlers, could obtain permits to travel west of the boundary, and the British goal was to prevent future conflicts with natives and to control colonial expansion. In the summer of 1764, British officials met with Indian leaders at Niagara and alerted them to the proclamation. Gifts were exchanged, and the Indians kept copies of the proclamation. But this was probably destined to fail, as there were already colonists living west of the line, as well as Indians living east of it. And the British planned to eventually move the line westward, but they wanted to control the pace of colonial expansion and to benefit themselves rather than the colonists. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, and other colonists viewed this proclamation as tyrannical, not out of some misplaced political calculation, but because there was money to be had in the West, and they were all heavily involved in land speculation west of the boundary line. The point is that while we think of the road to revolution as being a political disagreement over taxation, it was also, in part, due to the greed of colonial elites and their desire to get rich on land speculation. People, regardless of being national heroes, are still just people. Well, that is all I have for you for today. I hope you are staying safe and making smart decisions. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.